what are you what are you saying I said? I what are you saying like, I said? Like Did you fuck my wife? <laughs> Did you fuck my wife? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what, what do you mean talking about? You're saying I said something She's I didn't say. She's your wife. Say. I didn't I didn't touch her. What are you talking about? I don't know her. I don't even know her. How could I fuck her? That's fantastic. Anyway, uh so uh I you I thought that you said that he what maybe he wasn't a genius at all. Like is where you were going. That's like, not what I said. What okay. I said was he wasn't always a genius. Oh, he wasn't always he a genius. He has had moments of genius for sure. Right. But there are, t- I mean, there are pockets in Mamet's career, not unlike in Jordan's career. Sure. Where the, maybe the greatest of all time. You know, he's in the conversation. Right. But uh, they were not always, they were, you know, there were some leaner years and some leaner moments. Right. And, and obviously those came more to the fore the older they got. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. So, but I think like even there's some early stuff that I'm like, this is not good. (laughs) This is not good. But yeah, but the things that are great really elevated the rest of it. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. It was like a, the the tide rose because of things like American Buffalo and Glengarry. Right. And it kind of lifted everything else. Exactly. Because even if there's some of those things in the other things that are not so good, you go like, oh, but it's got that stuff, and right. I love that stuff. Right, exactly. You yeah, know, yeah. so like, yeah, I don't know, but it, w- at, upon upon looking at the body, the length and breadth of it, you go like, yeah, that that was a little pocket, a little dark pocket there. Right, and there wasn't a lot of good happening there. Right. So we should get into that, and we, we and this is your premise. So <laughs> what gonna, we're talking about yeah, here, yeah. is this idea of the decline of David Mamet. That that there was there may. You know, his later works, uh, I'm talking about stuff like China Doll and Bitter Wheat and The Anarchist and... Uh, no, it is not your fault, but it is your problem. Brilliant. <laughs> um, stuff like that uh, were not exactly his finest moments. And um, is, is it, are those last couple of decades of Dave's stuff is it a sign of a decline of his genius? You know, was there a genius there at all? Um, I think we agree that there was. Right. But, you know, th- did something happen in his life? Was there, a, was there a stake in the ground point that caused him to kind of lose a little edge or something in his work? Right. Um, did his uh, conversion from being a little more liberal to being a hard conservative did that have anything to do with the change in in the style of his writing all of these questions are kind of things that i'm interested in uh exploring during this what hopefully won't be too long of a schlepisode episode (laughs) to to examine uh you know what what was going on with him and and why some of his later work maybe doesn't shine as brightly as some of the earlier stuff yeah i love this as a premise premise. i love it yeah, because we we essentially spent the first half of the first podcast deifying this guy, right? right. And then as as we sort of delved back in, because it had probably been a while since we were this mammoth obsessed. Yeah, yeah, it had actually. Know? Yeah, once we got more back into the man we're dealing with now, right. Right. I think some shine came off the apple. Well, and that's true. Right? And what's for both of us? Sure. Yeah. What I was thinking about was like you know you. You change. People change. Nothing stays the same, right? Artists change. People change. No one is the same person at 20 that they are at 40 or that they are at 60. Agreed. You know what I mean? Agreed. So, and and it, 
that happens to artists all the time that they're as they get older they change True. and they're and um typically what we see is they get less effective right they, right we all sort of mellow with age right <laughs> and there's there's something about um you know when you're writing plays or movies wait what do we play? do with age mellow <laughs> with age <laughs> something about I love it. writing plays that you know a play has to have like that spark or that thing that makes you go oh makes you think or makes you look at things differently yeah. it, it has like an and it has edge. to be agile it has to be limber it right, has to, yeah, right. it really does Here, here's something i found in my research i can't wait this is from, this is from an article in the guardian oh. from 2013 you can trust the guardian that's right <laughs> written by a guy named mark lawson and he says you i know, know that name looking at and he's looking back at mammoth's life okay and, one of the things he mentions is only one of the 18 plays Arthur Miller wrote in his last 34 years, Broken Glass, it's called, has the slightest claim to rival Death of a Salesman, The Crucible, and All My Sons, okay. his three right. know, major sure. works. Sure, sure, sure. And even further, all 17 of Tennessee Williams's last two decades of the, oh, 17 plays of Tennessee Williams's last two decades seem doomed to spend their lives in university archives rather than regularly on a stage, which right. is true. I've right. read that, that there's that compilation book of his late works and they're they're mystifyingly just, they're, yeah. they're beautiful, but they don't belong on a stage. They they're, belong on a page. They're garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it is interesting that our, you know great playwrights as well, as they get older, their stuff just for some reason, yeah. it doesn't have the same... Yeah. Connection or whatever. Yeah, people want to murder Billy Joel for River of Dreams. There you go. They want to murder him for yes, it. Yes, exactly. And yeah. the stranger, they wanted to they all wanted to suck his dick. <laughs> it's like it does seem like Elton John, same deal. The Beatles, same deal. Right. Like the right. the longer they go, the less people are interested in what they're doing. Right. And we talked about this too of with like Al Pacino, for example, is that like playwrights, especially David Mamet, kind of became a brand. Where it's, yes. it became, there was a point where Broadway producers were now like, we need to make some money. Let's call up Mamet, see if he's got anything. Right. We'll put it up. He also was the edgy profanity guy. Right, exactly. And theaters that wanted to present as that. Right. We're, we're contacting right. him. So now you can you can get a play like Bitter Wheat to run in London and with you put a big star in it. You'll make tons of money. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether it's good or not. Right. It's it's on brand. It's it's a David Mamet thing, and people will go see it based on his former glories. Right. You know, and I think Al Pacino's kind of. This, we talked about this a little bit with the Irishman. Al Pacino's kind of sometimes riding that you know that old Al Pacino name and and some of his great performances still today. Even though I don't understand, <laughs> he may not be hitting on all cylinders like he used to. No, I hear you. But he tries to give you that Al Pacino feeling. You know, just in wanna, every movie. He, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I do want to go on record as saying I I'm not as it doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother you sometimes. With the Al thing, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That yeah. was uh, that was. He's he's Uncle Al. I know. I love like, him. I love him. Don't he, get me wrong. Anything he gives me, <laughs> you'll take. I'm it. great. I'm grateful for. That's it. good. That's yeah. a good way to look. At <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. yeah. It's yeah. a really good way to look. Yeah, at I'll it. never be disappointed. Right. I'm just like <laughs> right. <laughs> it's Al. Right. <laughs> My God, I love him so much. But I have developed a theory in my looking at his his works yeah the timeline of his works the timeline of his life and we're talking about al now no we're talking about mammoth Mammoth. back to mammoth Mammoth. sure and i've come up with a a theory of where i would put sort of the stake in the ground that was sort of the beginning of this change in him yeah 
over the years. In terms of the expectations of what a theory might be, I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I trace it all back to uh, ni- around 1991. 91. 91. Here we go. Hold on. Hold on. Hold and on. Sp- and specifically, the work... I said hold on. All right. All right. Okay. I'm there. Okay. Specifically the 1991. work. 1991. Yeah. And the, 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 the work that I think was the thing that was the catalyst of his change. Lay it on me. Is the play Oleana. Oh. Oh. Which I know you're a big fan of, as Huge am I. Huge fan. Yeah, as am I. Great Directed play. it in college. There you go. Right? Yeah. Poured over it. Read but, that script for three months straight. straight there you go. Over and over and over again. To me, I think that's the that was the catalyst, the beginning of, if you want to call it the beginning of the end, but the beginning of sort of the change in sure. David Mamet's life uh, and his work. Interesting. That, that turned him some years later into the guy we have today. Interesting. It wasn't like a light switch, you know, that's never the way things go. But to me that was the beginning, the catalyst was because Oleana. that's the first time he seemed to be taking a, re- a Republican point of view? No. Okay. Uh but l- let me go through some of the history. I can't wait. All right, so here's some stuff that happened to David Mamet in 1991. Okay. Which is the year before Oleana. This is just stuff that happened to Mamet? Yes. That's 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 this is fascinating. <laughs> How did you come by this information? I, I do my research. Okay, fair enough. This is the year before Oleana opened in Massachusetts, where they did it sort of an out of town Got o- it. opening. Got but, it. So it's the year before. In 1991, David Mamet's father died, and I don't think there was a, a bigger influence in his yeah, life. Say no more than this guy. Yeah. They said that that at, is my life experience as well. Yeah, but and both in a positive and negative way. Right, like his father was a guy who was really hard on him. Sure, and oh, you know when when he saw American Buffalo, he said, "When are you going to give this crap up?" Right, you know, and yeah. and become a lawyer. Yeah, his dad was a lawyer, and uh, like I said, really hard on him. They they um, he was also very competitive with David Mamet. So even though he he wanted David Mamet to do well. He never wanted him to do as well as he did. You know what I mean? So when <laughs> yeah, David Mamet started sure. having success, right. they lost touch for a while. They didn't speak for some years. Interesting. And this kind of stuff. They did eventually, you know, reconcile and stuff. And, uh-huh. and when he died, so the story goes. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the funeral they do the thing where they pass around the little shovel and everyone tosses yeah. a little dirt on the on yep. the on the coffin. Uh-huh. After that happened and everyone was starting to leave, David Mamet took the shovel from the actual like the real shovel from the actual like grave digger guy who was going to fill in the whole thing right and he filled in all the dirt it was a sweltering hot summer day Uh took off his jacket shoveled all the pile of dirt onto his father's I'm I'm gonna bury you old man buried his dad took 40 minutes as all of the mourners are standing around they don't know what the fuck is going on and he's like burying his father Uh himself interesting himself I had not ever heard this yeah, it it was it was a huge thing in his life, and I think it was a big, like, uh, burden off his shoulders. You know what I mean? Like he didn't have that; he wasn't there anymore to to be this shadow over him and to you right know, exactly yeah be constantly getting yeah, yeah, at yeah. him and stuff. Yeah, you know, he didn't have to compete with him anymore. Yes, I get wanting to exorcise those demons with right. that effort, that labor. Right, but also. It's a little dramatic. It is. And it's very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's that's what David Mamet did. That's I mean, that's, dramatic that's where he made his money. So the another couple things that happened to him in 1991. <laughs> oh, is, this is fascinating. His divorce from Lindsey Krauss. You really dug in the dirt. I did. Just like so David So 91, Mamet. he loses his dad and divorces Lindsey Krauss. That's right. Uh-huh. 
It's also, ironically, the same year he marries Rebecca Pigeon. Right, bang, smack, smack, bang, boom. Exactly. After a, a two-year... Do we know a timeline here? Between Krauss and Pigeon? Uh, I think uh, the How divorce... How many weeks does it take to get from a Krauss to a Pigeon? <laughs> I think it was like uh, the, a summer apart. So it was like in the spring he divorced, and in the, in the fall he got uh, okay. married. All right. But there was a two-year courtship with Rebecca Pigeon that had started like in 1989-ish. For sure. Um, so he was still married. Right. He's court doing this long distance relationship with Rebecca Pigeon, who's in England. Right. And uh, and then he finally gets the divorce. <laughs> okay. And then remarries. And remarries. And apparently, the his relationship with, with Rebecca Pigeon is who is, by the way, nineteen years younger than him. Uh, I mean, okay. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I got no problem. You're I mean, not casting a No, I'm not casting. No. I'm just giving just you the a, facts. It's a, it's a bit of information. That's right. Fantastic. <laughs> but that also changes a guy, too. You go you go from, you know, a wife who's, you know, your contemporary to someone who's 19 years younger than sure, you. Sure. You get a new point of view on life. You know what I mean? It's, Fair. It changes your, your vision. And she's someone who, like, lets him be him. Like, she had no expectations for him. Like, the first time she met him, she was actually rehearsing Oleana. Uh-huh. And or no, I'm sorry. Speed the plow. She was rehearsing Speed the plow. She's playing the girl in Speed the plow crazy. in London. Crazy. I bet she's crazy good at that. Oh yeah, I'm sure she was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And um, he immediately like was infatuated with her, and they started this relationship. So she comes into this like having been living his play, you know, in rehearsals and getting into his you know mind and stuff. And then he comes and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. She already thinks he's a genius. And then she finds out he's like a nice, cool guy or whatever. Uh-huh. So she's sold. You know what I mean? She's in. Like, he didn't really have to. He's a nice, cool guy. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but to her point of view. And uh, super successful. <laughs> David I mean, Mamet, you seem guy. nice and cool <laughs> <laughs> to me. So then they get married. Kiss me behind this building. <laughs> That's crazy. So then they yeah. get married, sure. And 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 then she just kind of lets him be him. Like, Le, and let me let me focus your extensive research for a moment. Okay. How this in some way leads to his decline, you're saying? Yes. All of this. Yes. Okay. Because now he's like found a life that's comfortable. You know what I mean? Like they 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 live in this Vermont thing with his little writing shack, you know, and she's planted flowers out front. They have the stop, children. Stop it. And what? It's my dream. I know. They okay. have the children running around. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's already had a couple of kids with Lindsey Krauss. Now Zosia he's got like right company. Exactly. He's got like four with Rebecca Pigeon or three or four with her. Sure. Now. So uh, I think he became comfortable. And <laughs> I think when artists become comfortable, you you sort of again lose that like edge, that hunger that feeds you that, definitely that, hear this a lot. That rage. Like yeah. One of the things in his work that's so apparent is this like anger, like almost at America. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, yeah. Just American Buffalo. He's angry at the American system of family. You know right. what I mean? In, in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, he's angry at uh, capitalism. Right. And the American dream. Right. You know, and when, when you become comfortable with America and the American dream because you're living it. Right. I think that changes your, you know, your perspective. It's, I mean, in a big way. I, I love this theory. I have no, no, no issues with it in any way. It, it sort of rings true in every sense. Um, I'm looking over the chronology here, and I'm yep. looking like post ninety one. Yep, the rage is <laughs> certainly diminished. I mean, he's still doing good stuff, right? So some of it, yeah. There's especially the movie stuff at that point really starts to. Take well, the off. movie stuff, you got to think he'd been working on. 
while still ragey. Potentially, but, you, I but think the other so. thing is that he... Hoffa, uh, Glengarry, the water engine, those are all... I mean, he was just working on those. Well, the water engine was an old... An old play, yeah. An old play exactly. from his, right? Yeah. But there's... Well, like, so was Glengarry. Yeah, and Glengarry. And but I Hoffa imagine was Hoffa new. was too. No, I imagine that started as a play idea. Maybe, yeah. yeah. You could be right, yeah. yeah. But some of the stuff, apparently, Art Linson said he could write a screenplay in like 10 days. Yeah. And he'd, he'd hand it in and be like, don't send this to anybody. Don't don't, don't just sit on this for a couple of weeks, which I don't want to make it think it was too easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay. He literally That's said fantastic. that. fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, so he can write really quickly. So some of this movie stuff, I think he was kind of, he had gotten into this thing where he was just kind of churning out. Yeah. Just cranking it movies. up. Yeah, exactly. That's been my argument all along. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember you saying he was laboring over. I was like, no. He's got a fucking telex role in the typewriter, and he's just churning that shit out, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. I hear you. But what I think what's interesting to me is you get Oleana in 92. Right. Right? Yep. That's very old man, young woman-centric. True. In its conversation. Yeah. It's, ve- it's very much like... You, the the young woman challenging the older yes. professorial type. Yes, yes. So that could that was born of pigeon, I'm Maybe, sure, perhaps. And, and their interaction. And she she played this the role. This is all speculation. Yeah, but absolutely. She I mean, played the role. You don't have to make it seem like my speculation is unwarranted. <laughs> this is, <laughs> Go ahead, speculate. The, what we're like. doing here is speculating. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry about so that. So I I think I think Oleana is to to your theory, <laughs> it is only furthered by Oleana. Right. You know. Right. And then years later, what do you got? Seven, seven years later or so, you got Boston Marriage. That's a bunch of sharp, strong women. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, and it's, uh, it's, it's and Boston Marriage. I love the play, but it is a trifle. You know what I mean? It's not like one of his, I don't know what you mean. It's not one of his major works. You know what I mean? It's not like one that you, that you come back to again well, and it again. It might be and somebody's like, favorite though. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I love it. I'm, I don't begrudge somebody I being that's great. favorite. But I don't it, think. I think it's hysterical. I, I love I when he's too. funny because I think yeah. he's very funny. I do too, but I, again, in, in comparison to your uh, American Buffalo, your Glengarry, your Oleana, it's not one of his like major works. Well, again, I, I think that might just be to you and me. Maybe. Like we, and but we've, I think in this era, we've overlooked, I think, my favorite of all his scripts. The cryptogram. The cryptogram. However, <laughs> did you know? Did you know the cryptogram? Why do I feel like I'm being cross-examined by you? <laughs> Your Honor. Your Honor. <laughs> One thing about the cryptogram, I'd like to be on record. Did you know it actually... Senator, <laughs> point of order. That he actually wrote the cryptogram in 1977. I believe he'd I've heard that. sitting on it for years. Yeah. He did a rewrite of it in 94 when it, when it came... Same when with it got to this point. But it was an old He'd been play. sitting on that for years. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, but what I think is different, to me, what's different about Oleana from the other stuff he had done up to that point. Go on. And um, one of the things that he, I have a quote here from David Mamet. You do? Oh, yeah. I have lots of quotes. Um, that I think, where is, oh, here it is. No, yeah, that is. That I think is like, that Oleana is sort of antithetical to is this. He says, quote, that's the only thing I ever really worked hard at in my life, plotting. Do it and do it and do it again. I'm not looking for a feeling. I'm looking for an equation. Given the set of circumstances, what does it end up with? How is that inevitable? How is that surprising? And to me, that's classic David Mamet. Like he's, his, the, the great plays of his are so incredibly well plotted. The films yeah. too are intricate. Agreed. And so brilliantly done. And you can, it, 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 
It's yeah. amazing the way that he does that. And I think Oleana is a little different in that it's not like, I don't think of that as a, it has a plot certainly, but I don't think of it in the same way to think of the plot of, of uh, Glengarry or the huh. plot of American Buffalo. It's, it's uh, more like a straight line rather than a bunch of jagged edges. Interesting. And it's more of, um, it's, it's, I think the, the one other thing he talks about a lot and he teaches to playwright, you know, young playwrights, just like this plotting thing. What did he say in the Marin interview? He's like, don't ever write an idea play. You know, he says, nobody wants to go see an idea play. They want to go see a story. You, your job as the playwright is to entertain people for two hours and then they go home. Sure. Your, your not, job is not to preach. It's not to get on a pulpit sure. and have an idea play. Right. And to me, Oleana is an idea play. Huh. Like, this is where he first started. He was like, and I don't know where it came from, but it definitely is is more of an idea play where it's just two characters talking around this this incident yeah. than some of his other works, mm-hmm. his earlier works, I should say. Yeah. Um, and to me, that was different. And, you know, when you hear him tell the story of Oleana, he says, oh, well, you know, that play came out. It was so controversial. There were fights in the audience during an omission. And he says this all the time, like, like right. fist fights. Sure. I don't know whether that's true or not. I imagine a fight <clears throat> broke out here and there. There's somebody certainly... says something, somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. Ben Brantley talked about being there being, you know, really lively conversation in the theater who, between scenes during his did? review. A, a re- he wrote a review of oh, the okay. thing. Uh, and he said, you know, it was very lively conversation in between scenes with the audience while they were changing, you know, changing right. over the scenes or whatever. Right. So I think he, at that point, he was like, oh, this is new. I didn't know I could do this. I can use my plays to like piss people off and to make them think either the way I do or make them angry about the way that I think. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not the first time he realized he could piss people off with his place. I guess that's true. That's definitely yeah. not the first time. He, yeah. I think he always knew he had that power. Yeah. Um, but the second part, I, I'll agree with. But I think this took it to another level. Like, I think this... this Maybe. W- this was such a controversial play, and it really... It, 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 especially in light of the, the Clarence Thomas stuff, it really had a big impact, and people well, were that's really the thing, up but in he, arms about but it. But he had written it years prior and right, and right. I think r- rolled it out again because of the Clarence Thomas stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think this was the first time that he caused such a controversy and I think he he found this new power. Okay. To shame he didn't wield it much after that. <laughs> well, I think he tried to. Yeah, tried to. Yeah. Didn't wield it much after that. Yeah, he it, like kind of dropped it. It was clumsy. He wrote, it seemed clumsy. It, it's clumsy is the word, exactly. Yeah. So what's he do after that? He does a play called Race. Right. You know, and it, could that have a clumsy, a more issue play title than race? It's like, you know what the play is about well, going in. Okay. That's a huge jump, though. There's a, a like a lot of time in there. There is. You know, we're talking 20 years. That's right. Yeah. Well, again, this doesn't all happen at once, but I think this Oleana oh, yeah. was the beginning of... Oleana, and then and we're talking stage stuff, right? We can throw some movies in here. And that Oleana, yeah, throw movies in, too. In 92, we also have Hoffa, Glengarry, and the Water Engine. Those movies came out that year. Right. We get the Cryptogram two years later right. on Broadway, which is one of my favorite all-time scripts. Yeah, I, very personal. I saw it. Too. I love it. I think it's amazing. I read it all the time just as a re-up, and I love it. Yep. I love it, I love it, I love yep, it. Yep, yep. And then uh, you got Vanya on 42nd Street. 
in the film, that's right. a thing he had been working on yeah, forever it's just and ever. A, a translate retranslation of Chekhov. Exactly. Which is like what? It's mental exercise. It's Exactly. That's and right. He's yeah. like intellectually gymming himself. Exactly. That's exactly and then, right. And probably presenting Vanya in a really fun way, too. Yeah. So yeah, so that happened. Then American Buffalo, the ill-fated movie, which by the way came out that that next year. <laughs> there was a story I found about that too. Was the uh, the producer said to him, uh, he gave the producer a script for uh, American Buffalo, and he said, "Oh, are you are you going to um, adapt this for the screen?" And he said, "What, you, what the fuck are you talking about? Adapt it for the screen? Give me that." And he took the script back. And he took a pen and he went to the cover page and it says. American Buffalo, a play by David Mamet. He scratched out the word play and wrote screenplay and yeah. handed it back to him. He said, there, I adapted it. Yeah. <laughs> All he had to do was write screen in front of play, though. He didn't have to cross anything out. <laughs> well, that's, whatever he did. He that's missed what he a did. moment there. <laughs> he just writes screen in front of it yeah, and yeah. Then adapt it. The story doesn't come out as well that way. Punch. No, it's more punch. <laughs> He's more clever. All I have to do is add a word. Boom. I'm David Mamet. Now it's a screenplay. Yeah, you get the point. I think all, all the times you fought me on this idea that he did the same thing with Glengarry for the movie, folks. And it's just example after example of it being like, it's already fucking done. <laughs> I did it. But I, I do think he worked on no, the movie. I think you're wrong. I, I think, think he, he added the Baldwin scene for Baldwin and had a blast and then moved the fuck on. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Fair enough. But no decline in that. That's when he's actually riding his highest, I think. Glengarry. That Glengarry movie, 92. He's, yeah. I mean, he's fucking running show business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Practically. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a big name. Yeah. And then from there... Hoffa, Glengarry, to, The Water exactly. Engine, all that stuff. He starts to do a lot of film work in this period of time. Right. You got your Lake Boat, your state in Maine, which was hugely successful. Yep. Hannibal, which was mildly successful. Oh, and you skipped 97. You skipped Wag the Dog, The Spanish Prisoner, and The Edge all came out in 1997. Yeah. Right. That's right. Which is really big. Yeah. Um, and one of the things about Oleana, of course, is the fact that he uh, he didn't like. Um, I'll tell you a story about Oleana. He uh, Harold Pinter was directing the English production of Oleana, the original English production, after it played here in New York. And uh, he wrote to him, and Harold Pinter wrote to David Mamet and said, "Listen, can we get a version of the script that doesn't have?" all the ellipses and the dashes and the pauses because these actors, they're getting hung up on this stuff and, and they're not, they're not able to perform it the way I want them to because you're being so prescriptive about where all the pauses are and the dashes and the blah, blah, blah. And Mamet said, no, of course not. I'm not going <laughs> to give you that. Sure. Ridiculous. And, but Pinter didn't give up. He kept asking him and asking him. And finally he gave him permission. I don't think he did it himself, but gave him permission to give them a script that didn't have all that stuff in it. Okay. So they did, and they went through rehearsals with the blank script. And of course, these were like Shakespeareanly trained actors in, in London. But they couldn't justify thing. an ellipse? Well, that's the thing. In Shakespeare, you, you have the punctuation oh, of course, but like, isn't it, really there. You yeah. Know, you just like, it's just words. There's no stage directions. There's sure. no nothing. Sure, sure. So anyway, they go through the rehearsal and they do the whole thing. And then when it came time to see it, Dave Mamet came to see it. And it turns out the pauses and stuff were basically in exactly the same place uh-huh. as he had right. prescribed them right, to right, be. Right. So it really says that the writing was correct. Like the way the phrases are built uh-huh. and everything is perfect. Yeah. And, you know, he, he didn't need to be quite so control freaky about the, the ellipses and the dashes and the pauses and the blah, blah, blah. You know, people will figure it out. Sure. But that's David Mamet. You know what I mean? This play was the one that started him doing the no talkback rule. Right. Right? He right. didn't want anybody talking about it unless he was there to sort of guide the conversation. Right. And, and, or not have a conversation at all, I guess, more to the point. Yeah. So I, I, I really feel like this play cha- somehow 
it changed his perception of what theater is huh. or is supposed to be. Interesting theory. Thank you. <laughs> and then in 1997, he does a movie called The Spanish Prisoner, which he wrote and directed. And what is The Spanish Prisoner about? It's about a guy. <laughs> you ready for this theory? <laughs> don't I mean, knock your socks off. I don't know what to do about any of these theories. <laughs> what? This is just theory after theory. You're just bombarding us with information. <laughs> we don't get a chance to let the theories breathe. Or no, no. There's no point counterpoint. You're like Mammoth. There's no talk back. <laughs> you just, you're on to the next fucking, let's talk about it. Spanish prisoner. What's it about? It's, it's about a, a huge con. It, yes. It's also about a guy uh-huh. who has some intellectual property he created that people are trying to take from him and that someone, the, this mythical corporation or whatever it is company he's working for is going to steal it right and profit from it and uh-huh. he will get nothing yeah which sounds a lot like his opinion of hollywood to me for which sure is where he's working a lot during this whole period of time yeah 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 and also kind of his his uh, his thoughts on oleana which is like i don't want anyone to take this script and direct it in a way other than the way I want it done. Right. Period. So I'm yeah. going to put all this stuff in it and make sure everybody sees exactly the way it's supposed to be and that's how it is. But I mean yeah, but that yeah, okay. Yeah. You're not wrong. Though we've seen that before though. He those themes were always in his work. The water engine is all about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, true. Yeah, the water engine very similar. And, like, yeah. And that happened way early. Yep. True. So, I mean it's probably something that maybe was bu- bubbling inside him the whole time and and who could, I mean, it's not, it's not, he's not wrong. It's a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's a hundred percent true. I don't know. I feel like you gotta, you gotta let it breathe. Like a good <laughs> wine, you gotta let it breathe a little bit. You what, know what I mean? What? Something. what? What do you have to let breathe? The play. You know, <laughs> give it to artists and let them create something from it. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. That may be different from what you envisioned, but it might be great. Nah. <laughs> no, I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> Write your own play if you want to have an expression about the way it should be done. <laughs> okay. Okay, fine. Um, decline me, bro. <laughs> come at Get me, me bro. Get me on the decline. All right. So he's making some really good movies during this period. Okay. Right? We just talked what about What period some... again are we talking about? In the 90s. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Um, his, his finest period. Yeah, I think so. I think With that nine, well, for films, for sure. 91 to 99. I think across the board. Not that he was writing a lot of theater because he was writing mostly movies, but right. that's the heyday of David Mamet, right? Yeah, for his films, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And his oh. plays are being done regionally ad nauseum because of the film success. And right, he's right. just on top of the fucking world. That's right. It, Everything's his, fucking peach fuss. His price is going up with every movie. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? He's directing them with his buddies and his friends and they're having a great time yeah. and all that kind of stuff. His yep. wife is coming along, make these movies with yeah. him. And we go right up through 2001 to Heist. And then it gets rough. Which was his last like commercial, quote unquote, success. It yeah. was his most, that's true. Yeah. his most successful movie, but it still lost $11 million at the box office. Right. So even though he's on top of the world, that's his most successful film that he directed. I mean, the, the Untouchables was way more, a much b- bigger deal. Right. Of course. But yeah. of the ones he directed, this was the one that was the highest grossing and it still was way below. Yeah. His, his, the, the movies he directs are not good. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. For you know, they're not many reasons, but yeah, you know, um, they're not good. <laughs> the Spanish prisoner is the only one that's watchable. Whoa, more than once. Wow, uh, come on, really? I love Heist. I watch <laughs> Heist all the time. I love that movie. I think it's great. 
Fantastic. All right, well, let's skip forward now to 2000. I think Spartan's better better than really? Heist. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I do. That's interesting. All right. All right. Let's skip forward to 2008. In 2008, this is when he wrote that a famous article in the Village Voice that was called Why I Am No Longer a Brain-Dead Liberal. And this was like a, a trial balloon for his new, uh, his new paradigm, his new political stance on life. Yeah. Right? Um, and then three years later, he comes out with the full manifesto when he wrote a book called The Secret Knowledge on the Dismantling of American Culture. Yes. And that's like when he's now, 2011, he's fully immersed in this right-wing conservative stuff. Uh-huh. So to me, that's sort of like the, the, the tail end of this conversion, right? So from 91, 92 to 2011, he goes through this 20-year um, <clears throat> move to the right. Yeah. And then the question is, does that impact his work? I guess is the big question. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it totally does. I'm looking for a quote I have here somewhere. Well, let's get to it, buddy. Okay. Uh, okay. Is this here a quote it is. corner. No, they're all quote corners. <laughs> what? We're just skipping the quote corner. No, it's a it's an, a slip episode. You we ain't really, got time you've for jingles. Come for nothing. We this got episode. We have time You're, for jingles. You have no joy. <laughs> There's no jingles. There's no room. You're just like, I did all this research. Hear it. Hear right. it. Yeah, hear it. Listen to it. You're like the guy in Whiplash. Really? I'm feeling abused right now. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> here's more. Well, here's two quotes from this guy from the LA <laughs> He's Times. relentless. Named Charles McNulty. All right, McNulty. Who says this stuff better than I do. Well, he says, in his younger days, Mamet turned con men into feisty symbols of the fiasco of American capitalism. Uh-huh. Now... After 2001, this was written in 2013, now an unregenerate capitalist himself, he's been on the hunt for all those <laughs> have-nots eager to pick his pocket with their outlandish demands for justice, equality, and fairness. Okay. And he goes on to say, Mamet has been using, lately Mamet's been using the bully pulpit granted to him as an artist to broadcast the doctrines of loudmouth talk radio... <laughs> <laughs> that boisterous realm in which innuendo substitutes for evidence and fear-mongering replaces analysis. Now, that's his prerogative as a citizen. But what a shame for progressives and conservatives alike that such a gifted dramatist has allowed the hot-headed dogmas to ruin his art. What do you think of that? It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot it to ingest lot. there. A lot to unpack. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this episode. I'm telling you, you, you tell me... You told me you want to do this Minnesota. I did a lot of research on you this. You did do a lot of research. I don't know what you were doing. You <laughs> I, I was going to talk about the chronology. <laughs> I, that's all I was prepared to do. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you're hitting me with a lot of stuff, buddy. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. Don't get me wrong. It's just a lot to unpack. Well, tell, well here's, I know you had a theory years ago, and you haven't brought it up yet. About two th or some people have a theory about 9-11. And that was, of course. Oh, sure. No, it, I haven't mentioned that yet. I think that in, changed the minds of a lot of people. Yeah, and that's in this period I'm talking about, smack dab in the middle between '91 and 2011. For sure. Um, so I, I don't. I haven't heard about this, but tell me what you think about the whole 9/11 and David Mamet. Oh, I, it's. I think it's just the. It's the. It was the whole reason for the. Uh, yeah, all right. What? Well, uh, uh, I'm going to back. I'm going to gently step away, <laughs> and just say that the tragedy had. 
a, a life-changing effect on people. Yes. For you know, many people, they felt yeah. unsafe. They felt attacked. And fearful. Right, yeah. Uh, and I think whatever can make you feel less fearful, having one who's maybe heard about the Holocaust your entire life, Right. Where whatever side is the perceived side of strength is maybe where you go. Right. That's I guess that's what I mean by that. I get you. Yeah. 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 And it's possible that he And the right that is path. the perceived side of strength and righteousness, right? right. For whatever reason. <laughs> I still don't know how that works. Well, because innuendo has replaced analysis. I guess that's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. Fear-mongering and, and yeah. innuendo have replaced. But if if we say if I say 2001 is the end of this this period where he goes through this thing and he develops this manifesto when he writes that book, the secret knowledge, right? Here are the things he's created since then. Go ahead. 2012, the anarchist. Yeah. 2013. Garbage. Exactly. Terrible. Yeah. 2013, the film, Phil Spector. Phil Spector. Good. Which is, it's okay. Good movie. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Liked it. Liked yeah. it a lot. But not, not something you'd put in among his great works. True. 2013. Uh, uh, he also wrote a book that year called three war stories. Oh yeah. Did you like that? I didn't. Okay. Didn't at all. 2015 China Doll. We know what we think of <laughs> Which you that. love. Oh, God. It's your favorite. Yeah. 2017 The Penitent, which was not terrible. I, I only I read it, it but good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's I pretty darn it good. Yeah. But it is uh, interesting, and I'll get to that in the end. And then 2019, uh, and then 2018, we have Chicago The Novel, <laughs> which you enjoyed, right? Very good. Okay. At the peak of his powers is wow. what I said after reading it. All right. I it's there's I mean in novel form he hasn't done much better. Wow. Well, that's good. Yeah. And then finally in 2019, bitter wheat. Bitter wheat. Bitter wheat. Which is the, not the, not being received with open arms. Yeah. His his answer to the Me Too movement and the Harvey Weinstein thing. Sure. And I think there's a difference if you look. I am curious about it though. Yeah, I am too. I'm very curious about it. I don't yeah. think we'll ever see it on stage here in the States. But no, you don't We'll think definitely it'll see it'll it never in get print here. at some point, yeah. I'm sure. All right. But one of the things I think that happened between the Oleana and, and today thing is he starts writing about a different kind of people. Right in Oleana, he's he's writing about this snooty professor guy. Well, that's it. And this woman who's an entitled, yeah. you know, white woman and and stuff. And then all of these other things well, he wrote after that. I don't know that. It, well, anyway, I don't want to. I hear what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Different. These are not gangsters. These are not con men. Right. These are the intellectual. Yeah. The intellectuals, the academia, sure. that sure. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he comes. He writes November, which was a play, and that was about like the president and politicians and this kind of thing. Uh, race was about lawyers. The anarchist is about a warden and this crazy uh, terrorist lady. Right. China Doll is about a rich guy buying a plane for his girlfriend. <laughs> Fantastic. The Penitent is about this rich psychiatrist guy, you know, who does these terrible things. I think he's, and Bitterweed is about a Hollywood producer. He starts writing about a different, I don't want to say class of people, but different types of people from what I think well, his best works were. In. Class is definitely part of it. Yeah. I don't know why sure. you would shy away from that. It's, and it just sounds it is a gross. different class of people. Yeah, different kinds of people yeah. than the ones he used to write about. Right. And I think that... But as, as he became more... Like them. Like them, yeah. he wrote about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think to his detriment, unfortunately. <laughs> to the work's detriment. Yeah, He exactly. seems to be doing fine. Well, sure, yeah, he's doing great. <laughs> I think he's doing great. Yeah, I think he's very happy. Uh, but certainly to like what we what we liked about him when he was... Maybe writing about more of the blue collar struggle. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he 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 swears he was sleeping then. <laughs> he sl- he swear he was dreaming during all that. Right. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm, it can't be a dream. Like, caring about what happens to all people can't be a dream you had once. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just don't know how to relate to that anymore. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And the work definitely suffers after that. Yeah. After that transition is made. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a shame. And I, I hate to, to say that's the reason why he hasn't written anything very, you know, anything great for a long time. Right. But I don't know what else to chalk it up to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this guy hits it on the head when he says that his new ideology has overcome his gift as a dramatist. You know what I mean? Like right. He, he, you, his old plays, you would never know what the um, political leanings were of the author. Right. Right? Right. But the new ones... It's, yeah, it's it didn't matter. Painfully obvious. And yes, you're right. And that's a shame. It is a shame. That is a yeah. shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they say about, um, when you know, when... Tennessee Williams didn't have to use hide being symbolism gay yeah. and, and and poetry to say what he was saying. Right. It just didn't it just didn't nobody cared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once That's you right. could say it, nobody cared. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same thing with him. I do. I think I agree with you. Um, I'll give you another quote from Mark Lawson. Ooh. In his later work, though, Mamet seems to begin not with a location or a protagonist, <laughs> but with a theme. The subject matter of race is baldly stated in the title. November might just as well have been called politics. And while the early work contains arguments between characters, the recent plays seem more engaged in a disagreement with the audience. Oh. Yeah, I think that's... That's uh, keen. That that's is a keen observation. It is a keen observation. It and is. I, yeah. And I think it all goes back to Oleana. You know, like that was the first time when it was that like, whole, aha. Yeah, don't, yeah. yeah. Right. See what I can do to you? <laughs> <laughs> And I also am not going to let you talk about it. Right, exactly. Whatever yeah. I do to you, you that's have to keep yet it quiet. Another disagreement I'm you having with you. You have to keep it quiet. That's a right. such, that's gross. Yeah, yeah. That's gross. Yeah. So that's um, that's my theory that it started with Oleana. It's a solid theory. And within the next twenty years, he 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 moved solidly to the right, and since then, he hasn't really gifted anything brilliant to us as good as the stuff he used to do before that. Yeah. I hate to say that that's what it is because, and I, I don't know. What do I know? We're just speculating here. You, I'm going to distance myself from this theory 100%, but you <laughs> are just speculating. Yeah, I'm just speculating. And I'm, yeah, I'm just here as a, uh, an observer, highest yeah. moderator. <laughs> what a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> you have three days. <laughs> I have three. I wrote three uses for the knife. <laughs> oh, that's a great. That is a great essay book. It is a great. He wrote a lot of great essay books. I, they're maybe my favorite of his. Really, so lean. Stuff. Yeah, and, and yeah. full of intellect. Yeah. Um. Every sentence is kind of a revelation in yeah, some of those things. That's true. Yeah. Like writing in restaurants. If you haven't read, that's it, a great book. Fucking yeah. read it. Yeah, great. Just fucking and, read it. Uh, Bambi versus Godzilla is also great. Also great. And that was written during this period between ninety one and two thousand. Uh huh. Uh huh. And I think. It, and some freaks, if I may, please? also recommend another essay book. Oh, some freaks. Okay. Some freaks. Uh huh. Uh huh. Phenomenal. Yeah, he's uh, he's written some the, great stuff. The lean, taut smoky memoirs of a young <laughs> hungry playwright are pretty great yeah pretty yeah. great and again i think that's i think you hit the nail on the head the lean and hungry part lean and hungry is missing lean and hungry is missing yeah, yeah i know yeah now we have now he's like cable knit sweater and vest guy yeah now we have john malkovich in a fat suit because that <laughs> because these are the people he hangs out with now you know what i mean yeah so that's what we're stuck with yeah so 
Well, I mean, yeah, I'll live with it. <laughs> it's not to be flippant about it, but I mean, like even, I guess I haven't, I don't know anything about bitter wheat. I thought the penitent was pretty genius. You tell me China Doll is a schlog. It is. It's terrible. I did, although I will, in its defense, I'll say I read a little um, blog post or something from somebody who said that she saw it on stage and it was dreadful. Worst thing she'd ever seen. Rambling. Couldn't understand it. Couldn't follow it. Got it. Then she read it and was like, oh, this is not half bad. Oh. So like on the page. Yeah, on the page. I, well, I think it gives you, t- when you're reading it on the page, it gives you time to kind of chew through it. <laughs> Whereas poor Al Pacino was up there swimming through, you know, <laughs> 10 teleprompters and people talking in his ear to give him his lines and it, and he had no idea what was going on. I don't understand. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I could see how that would, you know, tarnish the experience. Yeah, for sure. So for um, sure. So maybe it's not as bad as I think. I think it still is. But it may be slightly better than I think if on the page. That doesn't mean that they, they should have spent billions of dollars right. producing don't it. Don't throw it up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I, I mean, it's a solid theory and I want to say like, the lean stuff in the 70s and 80s are really like I'll always be nostalgic for that stuff from him yeah totally you know and yeah. then he there was a lot of shine in the 90s for him yeah especially the film work is, is really mostly great. the film work yeah. he just be he was the playwright in Hollywood like right like he always wrote right. about yep and how much he hated it but he still did a bunch of stuff right right you know yep and then he became uber Jewish not that right. that's a bad thing, but he right. like really went back to his roots religiously, and right. then he became conservative. Yeah, and all that's connected, I think. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got to be. So it's got to be. Mean, it is what it is. We're not going to change any. We're not going to change his mind with this stupid podcast. That's no. for sure. So what do you know about this bitter wheat? I mean, I know the productions have not been good. Yeah, it's just run in London. But what for, is the do you do you know anything about it? The plot. You mean? What's the voice? What is it saying about this movement? Um, what's I don't. The t- what side is it on? I, it's hard to say. Is it? You know, yeah, it's really hard to say because because I think he does paint this awful guy as an awful guy on the one hand, right? But I think he also, like Oleana, is saying the stuff he did isn't all that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, it's like that open letter he wrote for his bribey friends. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. It kind what? Of, what are we talking about? <laughs> what are we talking the about? Texas verdict. Come on. This is practice. <laughs> Come on. We're talking about practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I and, and have you seen their investments? <laughs> They're doing very well. They're doing very well. What are they doing being <laughs> talked to like this? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's you know, he, there is this thing about, you know, where there's a there's a young actress or whatever and he invites her up to his flat or whatever sure, to sure. quote unquote audition or right. whatever <laughs> he gives her pills and she's you know oh he gives her pills i think he does full cosby i think it's a, sort of a cosby. cosby she's i think she's tired because she's flown over from the states and, and it's you know you get that jet laggy thing because you took an all-night flight so sure sure he, she, she she's tired but she's got she wants to stay awake to have this interview with the guy because yeah. he's an important producer yeah, yeah yeah so he's like oh these will keep you awake or uh-huh. whatever and uh-huh. the, they're not keep you awake pills of I course see. I see. something like that yeah but anyway, there is certainly there's like an assault and there's, you Ugh. know, and there's, I don't think uh, much fallout to the assault. I think yeah. he kind of mostly gets away with it. 
So, you know, what, what does that tell you? I don't know. What is he saying? I don't know. I don't know either. But here's yeah. what I do know. As you're telling me, like, that story in the hands of a lady, I'd be like, okay, I can't wait to see it. I kind of want to know how that goes. And right. then when I'm thinking about it in the hands of Mammoth, I'm just like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> write, write some con guy stuff. Right, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, why are you, why? Yeah, I don't know. Why, why. are you taking a stand on this? Right, exactly. Yeah. Huh. And if, if that's the stand you're It's so you're tone taking, deaf to try to be a guy and even have an opinion on this. Bingo. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, it's this arrogance thing where it's like, oh, well, I'll show them. You know, I, I, I'll i show them the old right. white guy opinion I've on built, this. I've built a life on having opinions. Right. And I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> exactly. Not for you, not for anybody. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I don't know I, either. I, I hope that he writes another great thing, but I, I don't hold out much hope for it. No, I don't either. So. That's a sad ending to this little well, episode, isn't I it? Do, I have a question for you. Okay. What do you think David Mamet would think about this episode? Oh, he'd hate it. <laughs> oh, he'd want to kill us on the spot with an ancient gun. You don't think he'd just want to talk about it? No. <laughs> no, no, no. We are wrong, and he will kill us. <laughs> Period. End of story. I must kill you both with my bare hands. <laughs> That's just the way this has to go. <laughs> Who's first? <laughs> This is your fucking theory. I got my hand, my finger on my nose. Because I am not first. Oh, you're not going first. No, okay. you're first. I'll go first. Yeah. That's I don't want to see you get killed by David Mamet. I'll go first. I don't have to sit there and watch that. I would love to watch you get murdered by David Mamet. <laughs> <laughs> so much. <laughs> this is the fulfillment we, of dreams I didn't even know I had. Maybe we can set this up somehow. <laughs> we get this into his hands, you know? He'll we'll, want to kill one of us for sure. Not, we'll mail him an eight-track tape because that's the <laughs> level of technology he uses because we can't email it to him or anything because he doesn't do that. We know no, that. He certainly doesn't. So, I will never email. That's right. <laughs> Which one of you doesn't like Shake It Up? <laughs> that's me, You sir. are going to be the first to go. <laughs> and while I'm killing you, I'm going to play Shake It Up on my eight-track. <laughs> Yeah. No, he has a wax cylinder. <laughs> yeah, shake it up on it. Edison that machine, he, yeah. That he cranks with a little bullhorn speaker. It's the one from the Untouchables. <laughs> the, they took that from his garage. The old Victrola. Yeah, that was yeah. from his garage. Don't forget to bring my oh, Victrola back. You need a Victrola? I have one of those. I can lend it to the production, you know, just for a little while. I have a backup. Uh, yeah. yeah, he has several Victrolas. Right. Exactly. There's yeah. no question. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Yeah, I guess it was. It was. Yeah. Weird and fun. You were so prepared. Well, I, you know. Nobody I, was ready for that. You can't be prepared for how prepared I am. I was I not prepared for how prepared you I were. came correct, motherfucker. You, you did come correct. <laughs> you did. Cool. You're about that life. That's right. That coming correct life. That's right. All right. Bitches. Okay. All right, okay. bitches. Okay. We love yous. All right. We're going to see you again okay. soon. All right. Let's. And we're going to give you lots of good stuff. Let's pump the, pump the brakes on all of this. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. It's a slippery slope and we need to pump the brakes. We need to come to a full and complete stop. Comfortably and safely on the side of the road and regroup. Okay. Okay. Right, let's do that. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.